It was me. Well, good evening, everybody. Hope everybody's week's off to a good start. Hope you did everything you wanted to do outside. I think it's going to rain on us now. Um, let's see here. Announcements. We're still doing the baby, baby bottle fundraiser. Um, and we had our Creation Museum and ARC meeting. Um, probably still a few things we need to address as far as that goes, but we're not going to do it tonight. Um, let me, I'm not going to mention every single prayer request that was mentioned on Sunday, but I want to give you a new one. It was just given to me today. Um, and I'd like for you guys to all be praying for, for Kenneth Mask. Now, I know some of you probably haven't met Kenneth, but this is Rose's husband. And um, he already has health issues. Um, he, he just recently, well, he's been having some, some health issues, not related. Um, well, he's got a lot of health issues, I guess. I, I'm not going to list all his medical issues, but let me say that they just discovered that he has cancer. And they don't know if they're going to be able to do surgery or not. Um, he's, he's, he goes to uh, his surgeon tomorrow, and he has a, uh, a, some kind of a scan done. And so I would just ask that you uh, pray that he has a good outcome there. Um, they already know that he's got the cancer. Hopefully, they will be able to cut it out. That is always ideal. Um, that's if it hasn't spread. And so just pray for that situation. Seems to me like uh, every time I turn around, somebody's got cancer. Am, am I crazy? There have been a lot of people getting cancer lately. Um, anyway, pray for him. And um, pray for Miss Rosa, too. She's, well, just pray for her. Uh, what a husband goes through, a wife goes through with them. Um, what other prayer requests do you guys want to mention, remind us of, updates, anything like that? I'd mention uh, Cynthia Scott. They moved her to hospice. What else? We talked already with Keith. He's just not well. Okay. He, he wants to be here. He, he's not well. Hmm. <coughs> 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 had a surgeon on his hip yesterday. He's not bad. He just doesn't feel good at all. Is his cough better? There's not much. They zonk him out for the surgery? No, actually, they wanted to, but he said he didn't want to, and they said, okay. okay. So he was, by the way, they just cut a hole in there and put a chain to it. So. Okay. I'd have been out. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Uh, Richard Hall I was about to be next. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I always tell this story when that happens, but I will never forget. I knew a preacher that would scold people when their phone went off. He was the same preacher that if a baby cried, he wouldn't quite stop preaching, but he would look in the direction of the baby and lock his eyes. 
I vowed not to be that man. Um, I'm doing good so far. Um, but anyway, the short version of that is one day he was preaching and his phone rang, so you've got to be careful about that. Um, well, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of prayer requests. Um, um, the Bridges family that I mentioned, um, Linda, uh, this is Jeannie's friend that she had mentioned, um, a lot of people raise their hand for just unspokens, and, and there, are, there are many things that people don't share. Uh, everybody's dealing with something. Um, just, just so many burdens. And, uh, so do you remember Cody? Yeah. Can I tell? Cody has agreed to lead the uh, uh, Christian, what's it called? Is it? The Fellowship of Christian Students. The Fellowship of Christian Students. And, um, well, it takes a lot of guts to do something like that. And so I'm proud of you for doing that. And uh, his, uh, well, if, we're gonna, in fact, our lesson's on what he's going to be doing. He's going to be giving uh, fellow students God's Word. And uh, so that's a, that's a wonderful thing to be doing. And uh, just pray for him in that endeavor. Pray that God uses that. Uh, to grow those young people and uh, to help them follow Christ. And uh, with that, let's go to the Lord in the word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you with uh, hearts full of thanksgiving. And uh, God, we just pray that, uh, Lord, at times when our life seems to present problems and troubles, we ask God that you open our eyes to see the good things that you have done for us. Uh, Lord, help us to count our blessings and remind us that we need to be thankful in all things. And uh, Lord, each and every single one of us, uh, no matter what we're dealing with, uh, we can count ourselves as blessed. At the very top of that list is that we have Christ as our Savior. God, help us to remember just a, what a treasure we are uh, to our Savior who died for us. Uh, God, we do want to come to you uh, and ask uh, your blessings, your protection, your healing for so many that uh, we hold close to our hearts, those that we love. Uh, we've got friends that have cancer, Lord. Uh, those that uh, have upcoming surgeries. And um, Lord, we just pray that your hand would be upon each one of them. We pray, God, that you would uh, give them peace, whether they are in the hospital or they're looking um, on the horizon at, at, at procedures to come. We just pray, God, that they would feel your spirit, that they would know that you're with them. Lord, for those that deal with uh, daily issues, uh, God, we just pray that you would comfort them, that you would draw them that much nearer to you, and, uh, Lord, that in their weakness they would know that they are strong because they have Christ. Uh, God, we just uh, ask that you would watch over our church, that you would be with the families of this church. And, Lord, as we come to you with the many needs, uh, we ask, Lord, for the most important ones. Um, we ask of them the most of all, Lord, that you would tend to our spiritual needs. Uh, help each and every single one of us to walk in your ways. Uh, help us to love your word, to study it. Um, and, God, we just pray that we would pass it to the next generation and that our children's children uh, would be churchgoers and that they would love the Lord. And God, they can only do that through your blessing. And so we just pray, uh, Lord, that if it be your will, that that be done. We ask God that you would uh, be with our church tonight during this time of studying your word. We pray, God, that, uh, Lord, as we read it and, and study it, that you would help us not to err to the left or to the right, but to rightly divide it. And, uh, God, that it would find its way into our hearts and that it would conform us even more into the image of your Son. Uh, Lord, we ask all these things in his name. Amen. All right, so if you haven't already, turn to the book of Joshua. And um, I'll remind you as you turn to Joshua that Joshua is, is a changing of the guard. And it is 
um, Joshua taking over where Moses left off and where Israel had failed before, that is that they did not go into the promised land, Joshua is the story about victory. It's the story about, in fact, there's some losses in here too, and they're important for our learning. But this is the story of the conquest in Canaan land. And in fact, I think we called our, uh, our study last time, Victorious Christian Living. And that is going to be the theme for the book of Joshua. It is about Christian living and living in victory. So if you will remember the way that the New Testament speaks about Egypt and about Pharaoh, um, they, they represent sin and bondage and the world. And Israel is baptized through the Red Sea, then given God's law after being saved. Um, and of course they're called to, by the way, God gives them everything that they need and they grumble and they murmur. And it brings them to Kadesh Barnea where they rebel against the Lord. And of course he eventually says that he'll give them what they want. Um, and they never enter into the promised land. Uh, God says, uh, well this generation will pass away, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. But now we're looking in Joshua at that next generation. And uh, Joshua... Uh, we saw that he takes over from Moses. Joshua was the servant of Moses, and, um, and so he was the one closest to him. And we looked at last time in particular, we, we dug back into some of the Old Testament passages that showed that Joshua was always seeking God, always trying to get as close as he could. He went up the mountain with Moses when he received the law. He hung, at the, he hung out at the tent of meeting. And today we're going to see that as last time, God spoke to Joshua, and now we're going to see Joshua speak to the people, the congregation of Israel, and we're actually going to see them speak back to him. And so, um, to me, and I, I realize that Joshua is not just a pastor, I, I know that, but I can't help but see a pastoral model in this. Um, let's go ahead and read, and let's begin Joshua chapter 1, and look with me, if you will, in verse 10, it says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond Jordan, that is to the east. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua. Listen to what they say to Joshua. I love this. All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. 
I think that's absolutely just a wonderful little passage. Um, let me back up since I referred to Joshua as a pastor. I have never stood up here and said, I'm the pastor, listen to me. I've never done that. I never will do that. I don't think that it's good leadership. Um, but I will say that when we look at certain figures in the Bible, we need to be sensitive that they fit into two categories. And I want you to try and let both of these, um, well, I want you to be sensitive to them. So let me just paint Joshua as sometimes I refer to Moses as the pastor of Israel. And so is Joshua here, pastoral in his role to Israel. Now, he's a lot more than that. Joshua has things going for him that no modern-day pastor has. In other words, he spoke face-to-face -face with God. In fact, he says, as he was with Moses, let him be with you. Well, that's how God communed with him. And so, pastors today, we have God's Word. Um, we have His Son. We have all of His promises. That's different. We also need to be sensitive to the fact that Joshua is a type, just as Moses was, of Jesus Christ, something that no pastor today can do. Let me put it this way. Moses is the deliverer of Israel. Well, who is our deliverer? It's not our pastor. It's our Jesus. It's Christ. And so Joshua, we see him here as the captain of the congregation. And so he sort of emerges as a type going into the promised land, the one fighting for the people of Israel. Well, when you go into spiritual battle, you can ask your pastor to pray for you, but he can't fight for you. Your Jesus fights for you. And so as we go through Joshua, in fact, if you don't know this, the name Joshua is the same name as Jesus. It means salvation is of Yahweh. And so, uh, in fact, I guess that they would have, in the Hebrew, it would probably be called Yehoshua. And maybe sometimes you'll catch me calling Josh Lyles Yehoshua. I just like to say it. Um, I do know some of the namesayer denominations. They refer to Jesus as Yeshua. And, uh, of course, the Greek version would be Jesus. I'm not one of these namesayers. I don't think we should get too hung up on that. But the point is that they have the same name in two different languages, Yehoshua and Yeshua, but it means salvation is in Yahweh. And I think that it's a wonderful theme that we find here as we see um, Christ. In fact, can I just say from a pastoral point of view that, well, in fact, my first point here is that spiritual leaders pass on the Word of God. Spiritual leaders, and I said that on purpose. I, I didn't say pastors pass on the Word of God because you cannot be a pastor and you can be a spiritual leader. In fact, you should be. Let, let me just go ahead and put it on you. You ready? Men, the Bible says you ought to be the spiritual leader in your household. Um, that means that you're responsible for the direction. Now, I'm not saying your wife is a complete idiot and she can't do it, but you're the one that's responsible, men. I will also say this. Christian women, when your man messes up, remind him what God's Word says. Help him. Steer him in the right direction. And in your workplace and in your friend groups, and on Facebook, I would like to think that church ladies, spiritual leaders, would emerge among those groups and uh, remind people of what God's Word says. Remind people. There are so many. Can I, I'll tell you one I saw. Gosh, this, this frustrated me so much. Um, part of the reason it frustrated me is because it had to do um, with anointing with oil. Now, I'm not going to get into this whole thing, but... Y'all know I did this recently. 
I don't know. I don't know that I've ever had a preacher in my life that was a, a pastor in a church I attended that has done it. And most of the time when people do it, they're doing something wrong. And so I've always kind of shrunk back from it. I, by the way, I have studied it in detail, and we're not going to go dig it up in detail. But it says that it is done for the sick. It says, let them call for the elders of the church that he may anoint them with oil. And anointing people with oil has always meant the same thing. From way back in the Old Testament all the way to the book of James in the New Testament. And it, it is consecrating someone for God. And so when I did it, in fact, I told Kevin, didn't I? I said, I've never done this. This is kind of weird for a Baptist to do but I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Will you let me do it? I called him before I drove up there, and then when I got there, I told him, I said, in the Bible, when they're anointed with oil, they're giving them to God. I said, do you understand that? Yeah. I said, I'm giving him away. You get that? I said, can you give him away? And I'll never forget Kevin looking at me and going, what choice do I have? And so we did it. But the modern usage of anointing with oil, by the way, can I just say praise God, that God heals. Oil doesn't heal. God heals. God always gets the credit. Not oil, not preachers. And, and I saw this little short. I'm coming back. I'm getting back to it. And this preacher, he, he was telling parents from the pulpit how they can have victory in their child's life. And they said, if you want your child to have victory, you sneak into his room at 1 o'clock and you put the Bible on his bedstand, and he said, you get you a little olive oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. And he said, you take a little dab, and you dab it on your son's forehead, and you dab a little on your Bible, and you say, I don't know. He had lost me at this point. Basically, it was one of these, I rebuke the evil influences and blah, blah, blah. This is not some sort of little trinket. It's not a cheap trick that you wave over someone or that you put something on. If it was, we could put it under our pillow and we'd wake up knowing everything that we need to know. The pattern that we're supposed to have as Christians is a lot harder than a little sprinkle of oil. Do you know what we have to do? We have to hear from God. Here it is. We have to interpret what God says and we have to apply it to our lives. And the, the Old Testament Preachers, they had a tougher job than what we have. The Old Testament preachers, they had to receive revelation from God. They had to interpret it, and then they had to tell the people so that they could apply it. Well, you know what the New Testament preacher does? We have the revelation. The hardest part, the part that would really bother people the most, we already have it. And all we have to do is proclaim it, interpret it, so that we all as a congregation can apply it. So I want to remind you where we left off last week. He says to Joshua, well, he says to be careful to do what's in the law. So you have to know it first. You have to read the book, not sprinkle oil on it. Know it. Be careful to do it. Don't turn to the left or turn to the right. Walk the line is the way we put it last week. He says, it shall not depart from your mouth. I told you guys last week. Remember what I said? I said, I realize I'm not doing my part in my family. We're starting a Bible study. It has already become a tradition. I forgot yesterday. And you know what Naomi said? What are we studying for our Bible study tonight? And I think I just borrowed from what I did on Sunday because <laughs> I didn't have one ready. But I'm going to give my kids a gospel truth every single day. And we do it at supper. It's so easy. Um, it's not super in-depth. I mean, they're kids. It, it takes a couple minutes. But that got a hold of me. 
Don't let it depart from your mouth. That tells me, Christian, that we have a responsibility to pass it on. Now, you can do it in a formal study. You can set time apart for it. You can do it at the kitchen table. But I'm going to tell you the best time to do it is when something comes up. Somebody's dealing with something. And you think, well, God's Word speaks to that. And whatever they happen to be dealing with, you know God's Word well enough that you can say, you know, that reminds me of Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament. Or do you remember the story about such and such? I really think that if we did this, we would have young people that are much better trained in God's Word and that most of their problems would go away. You've got to know it, understand it, and obey it. And by the way, God tied that. I'm just reminding you of what we had last week. He tied that to success and prosperity. Do you know why? Because they're tied to God's favor. This is what we call the Deuteronomic formula. It's kind of hard to say. The Deuteronomic formula. And you know what? That's basically God said, do what I tell you and I'll bless you. Disobey me and there will be cursings. You know, there's nothing neutral about that, by the way. You obey God and you receive blessings or you disobey God and you receive cursings. And here today we see that it's not different. God told Joshua, we studied last week, he basically, I'm going to paraphrase, he said, get up, get ready, it's time to go. And what do we see Joshua saying here? He commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. God spoke, it's time to go, let's go. By the way, uh, I want to point out that most people get it wrong the first time. That includes me. It includes Israel. We talked about their failure at Kadesh Barney. In fact, Abraham, when God told him to get up out of the land of Chaldea, he was in Ur. It says he waited till his daddy died before he did it. In fact, if you go read Acts chapter 7, and Stephen preaches in Acts chapter 7, he doesn't ever get to finish the sermon because they killed him for it. They stoned him. That's a man that could preach, by the way. But if you go and you study that sermon, you know what you're going to see? He's gonna, his main point is we always mess it up the first time. And he was telling them, here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God, and you're going to miss it. He's trying to tell them, pay attention, but they killed him for it. And so here, as Israel has messed up the first time, they've got their second chance, and what we're going to see is a different attitude. Um, the spiritual leader, Joshua, tells, what does it call them? Uh, the officers. This would be those that had rank, the ones that, uh, what did they call them? I'm going to call them the elders of the community. Um, there's an Old Testament word for them, and I can't think of it right now. But he sent them in there, and he said, pass the word along. And by the way, every time I see three days in the scripture, it kind of catches my eye just a little bit. Your spiritual victory was won in three days too. Do you know that? And uh, I believe that this foreshadows that just a little bit. But within three days, uh, oh, by the way, let me just pause for a second. I want to show you a word. This is a spiritual warfare word, and it has nothing to do with a dabble of oil. You ready? It's right here in the middle of verse 11. It says, prepare. Now, yes, you could say, well, prepare your provisions just means get ready. But a lot of people, they, something comes up against them in life. Let me rephrase that. A lot of Christians find themselves in a situation that they never expected, and they don't know how to deal with it because they've never prepared for it. 
I don't know why we always assume everything's going to be perfect. And no dark clouds are ever going to come our way. Um, these guys were getting ready to go into war. They were getting ready to go in and literally do war. In fact, war after war. Joshua, the conquests of Joshua, I guess that the wars themselves take place over about seven or eight years. But this whole thing in Joshua's final address is about a quarter of a century. It's not a small thing. And guess what? A lot of you sitting out here have more than a quarter of a century left. Prepare for the battles ahead of you. By the way, let me remind you that as a Christian, you have the victory already. So when uh, you think about what lies ahead, you should think about it in the same terms. You should go in to take possession of the land that, you're, that the, Lord, the Lord your God is giving you to possess. It's yours, bought and paid for by Christ. Victorious Christian living is yours for the taking. That's the message. It's yours for the taking. Many Christians, oh, I don't care about that, or I'm going to get distracted by this in life. But the story here is that, by the way, this, God says, Joshua says, the people agree. It's perfect. You've got this. And by the way, they don't just agree, and I'm going to deal with that in a minute. They step it up a notch. Um, they give him or... or in fact, we, let me go back to Numbers 32. This uh, section here in the middle, um, Joshua 1, starting in verse 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but the, Re uh, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua gives them special instructions. Probably most of you haven't read Numbers recently, and you're going to miss that. And I I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I read this, do you know what my first thought was? What is wrong with these people that they are not going into the promised land and that I had to go back and review it? I, in fact, I'm not going to go back and read it, but if you want to go back and read it, you need to to have a full understanding. It's in Numbers 32. If I can paraphrase it, this will be the short version. They come upon this land and they go to Moses and they say, we're cattlemen. This land is perfect for cattle. We don't want to go over Jordan. We want to stay here. And in fact, uh, it's the land of Og of Bashan. And uh, if you remember that war, they go in and he was an Amorite. So he's one of these enemies of God's people. Remember the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And then at some point when they've sinned enough and never repented, God says, go on in there. Well, they were on that side of Jordan. And it says that they defeated utterly Og of Bashan and his people and they took the land and they possessed it. So we see this same idea of Canaan land, of going and possess it. And the Bible indicates that this was a blessing to them. So even though it looks like it's on the wrong side of the river to me, God knew and God gave them what they needed. And let me tip my hat to them just a little bit. I, I talked to my wife about this. I said, what do you think about these guys? And she said, well, they were content. You got to give them that. Now look, that's not a small thing because they had been promised Canaan land and then they didn't quite get there. They get to uh, the land of Og of Bashan here and it's perfect. It's got everything they need. And they said, this is what we need. We can be satisfied with this. Now how many of you guys are like that? Or how many of you would say, well, let's look a little further. Let's look a little further. Before long, you've looked a little further and you've run out of places to look and you're just too good for all of it. I'm sorry, but that's the way that Americans are. Um, but let's look at this and consider the unity that's required because 
When they come to Moses with this idea, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and uh, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses says, what then? I'm going to send in the other tribes, your brothers here, and you're going to stay back here, and you're not going to go to war, and you're not going to claim what God has promised. And you know what they said? They said, I'm paraphrasing again. You go read it. They said, let us build our pastures, our sheep pens, our cattle pens, and let us set up villages for our families, for our women and our children. And when the time comes, us men, will go over there and we'll make war. We'll do what we're supposed to do. And it becomes a really beautiful picture. Because this is somebody that already has the promised land, so to speak. This is somebody that's already living in victory in Christ. And guess what? They didn't quit the church. They didn't say, oh, there's my brother or sister in Christ that's struggling with sin X, Y, or Z. Forget about them. They said, we're going to do our part. We're going to help. And this reminds me of discipleship. And let me just say this. And this really bothers me. There are no half-Christians. You either in or you out. Jesus makes it so clear. I love all of his examples. There's goats and there's sheep. There's no hybrids. There's black and there's white. There's no gray. I know that's not real popular these days, but that's the way Jesus preached. There's wheat and there's chaff. There's nothing in between. And that's always the way that Jesus preached. And if you're a Christian... You're supposed to be a Christian and you're supposed to do the work of a Christian because that's the work of Jesus. He commissioned us to do His work on this earth. The half-Christian, the somebody that says, and by the way, there have been times where the church has had what they would call half-members. Um, one of my favorite preachers, Jonathan Edwards, bless his heart, he has a mind like I'll never have. He could preach and write like I'll never be able to. In fact, it has been said that he is the greatest mind that America has ever produced. And he was probably the best preacher, the best theologian for sure of his day. But in his church, they had what they called half-lights. These were half-members. Do you know what they called a half-member? They had children born to a Christian father and a Christian mother Children that had never repented of their sins and professed Jesus Christ, and they gave them like half membership. And so you had all these kids that were growing up in the church, and they thought, well, I'm saved because Daddy's saved. How terrible. That's why the gospel says, repent and believe. And that message is for everybody, including the children of preachers, Christians, whoever. Nobody's exempt from the message of Repent and believe. There are no half-Christians. There are no half-lights. And I think that Christians should do the work of Christians. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This means use your spiritual gift. Matter of fact, let me say another thing. And this is stupid to say to a church group that's here on a Wednesday night, but come to church. Sometimes you can't come to church and you want to come to church. Encourage other people gently to come to church. It's hard to do sometimes, but... In fact, I saw a little thing on Facebook. What did it say? You expect me to believe that you want to die and be with God's people forever, but you can't even muster up enough strength to hang out with them for one hour on Sunday. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. I'd like to see all of God's people. Look, church doesn't save you, but I don't see how you can say, I am Christ's, and I'm just not going to do that because His Word says that you should not forsake the gathering together of the saints. Hebrews chapter 10. 
I think Christians should want to come to church. I'm not an arm bender. I'm not going to twist somebody's arm. The closest I ever came to it was right down the road. I'm not going to tell you exactly where. And I was just inviting some people to church. And the guy told me, sitting in there, he said, we don't go to church. This is our church. And I told him what Hebrews chapter 10 said. He said, yeah, well, the Bible also says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there with them. I said, suit yourself. I was pretty sure after he said that, we didn't want him here. <laughs> That's terrible. You should want to come to church if you're a Christian. You should love to be around God's people. By the way, we don't take attendance. I'm not ever going to make anybody feel well, any kind of way about not attending, not coming to a fellowship. But I'll, I'll make a promise to you. People notice. People do notice. And it takes church people to do things. I, here's, here's a good example. There's no, there's no vacation Bible school if you leave it up to me. It's not going to happen. It takes church people. And it takes somebody to pray over it, to cry over it, to plan it. And it's hard work. Well, every single time we have a church fellowship over there, there's some of us that we just go over there and we do it. But somebody has planned. They have talked about when we're going to have it, why we're going to have it, what we're going to have. Well, I don't know if we do that or not. It might just be all luck when people show up. And then there's work to be done. There's floors to be slept and swept and tables to be You get the idea. Christians have work to do. Now look, that's the easy stuff. You want me to tell you what the hard stuff is? Phone rings. And you hear a husband say, my wife just left me. Now look, what are you going to do in that situation? Your job is to be the church. If they, call, if they didn't call me, if they called you, your job is to be there for them, to love them, to pray for them. Don't make them feel bad. It's already a bad situation. What if somebody calls you and they say, I just found out today I've got cancer. Be the church. Be there with them. I just got the diagnosis that I wasn't looking for. There are some people, and I don't think I'm talking to anybody here, they want all the benefits of church and not the work of church. Or, or worse, some people want all the benefits of Christianity, but they don't want to really be a Christian. Everybody has their part to do. And by the way, God made us all different so that this works together. And I have such a high view of God that I believe that He has endowed each and every person that comes through those doors with a spiritual gift. I promise you, there's some people in this church, we better all pray, but there's some people that their spiritual gift is interceding on behalf of others. It is praying for church people, and we need them. There are other people in this church, their spiritual gift is ministering in the form of comforts to people that are going through hard times. There are other people in this church that they're blessed with the gift of teaching. There are some that are blessed, you get the idea. All the spiritual gifts, we have them. And if we don't, there's somebody out there that we haven't invited to church yet. Nevertheless, there are no half members, and Baptists don't have half members. Um, we can put our kids' name in directories with our family, and we should. We don't need to put a little note next to them that says they're not saved yet. <laughs> I asked Naomi one time. I noticed that Naomi kept talking about the Farrington boys. And uh, this was a while back. And uh, she kept mentioning one name in particular. And I said, which one of them Farrington boys do you like the most? She said, mm, I like the saved ones the best. <laughs> I said, well, be patient. Uh, we're to love all of our children. 
And, uh, and they're all a gift. And we pray, that, we pray that God will work in their lives in a mighty way and that they will all be saved. And we will never, listen to me, Mama and Daddy, we will never give up on our kids. Never. If the whole world hates them and casts them away, uh, never give up on them. I'm reminded of a preacher that told uh, one of his fellow preachers, this was, this, was, this was not here, this is not a local story, but he was telling this other pastor that his son was not one of the elect because he was already 35 years old and he had never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to report today that that son who was a non-believer and who was against the message of the gospel is now a preacher of the gospel. So never give up. Discipleship is for everyone. I think we see that here when, by the way, Joshua is just calling the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh to do what had already been agreed upon. And so he's saying, you said you'd go to war, you can leave your kids, you can leave your wives. By the way, I don't know if I'd have done that. It took a long time. Can you imagine saying goodbye to your wife for seven years to go to war? Tough. But they did it. They kept their word. They said that they would keep their word and that they would go in and that they would take possession until God had given them rest. I believe, and let me just remind you, discipleship, it works in every direction in the church. I, I have seen churches say, well, you get this old Christian because uh, he's supposed to know more than everybody else and he has a younger guy and then that guy has a younger... That can work, but can I just tell you that we can all help each other from every direction? I have been encouraged by brand new Christians in a way that I'm just going to tell you, some people that have been walking with Christ for 50 years can't do because sometimes people lose that fire that a new Christian has. Discipleship is opportunistic. Yes, it can be planned out, but sometimes it happens in the most unexpected ways, and it can happen from the top down, from the bottom up, side to side. I've never looked at another Christian and thought, well, I'm above them, so I should disciple them. No, we just all disciple with each other, all loving the Lord together. Um, I'm reminded of the New Testament uh, that says that we ought to not think of ourselves first, but as others more highly than ourselves. You know, one of the biggest issues that I have with American society is that you get told you're special all the time. <sighs> well, what are you saying, preacher? We're not special. We're... When you start telling somebody that they're special from the time they're this big, I want our kids to have a self-esteem. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of people, they get this big, and they say, well, so-and-so got addicted to that, but I'm special. And next thing you know, they're dabbling in things they've got no business touching. Or some people, they're special, so, well, I know that says that in the Bible, but my situation's a little different. People rationalize being special. I'd be real, I'm not special. If you want to go home and look in the mirror and tell yourself how special you are, you go right ahead. That is a dangerous game to play. I think that one of the most mature moments you can have is to go look in the mirror and say, you're not special. You're just like everybody else. You play with fire, you're going to get burned too. That'd be a good wake-up call, especially for a lot of young people. Let me move to my last point here. I don't know how I ran out of time. Encouragement is needed at every level of Christian living. Now, the reason I say this is Joshua has heard from God. He's spoken to the captains of the people. They've taken the word into the camps. And then the people come back and speak to Joshua. And I'm going to read you what the people say back again. All that you have commanded us, we will do. By the way, because it's God's word, not because it's Joshua's word, but because it's from God. And wherever you send us, we will go. 
Now they says something that you've got to interpret rightly. It says, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. You might be thinking, now wait a minute. <laughs> Remember, this is the second generation. So I think that they can say, as we obeyed Moses, because they did. It was their parents that rebelled. And what they're saying, as Moses was to Israel, so will you be to us. Only Now listen, this is not the preacher talking to the people. This is the people talking to the preacher. Are you ready? Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And then they say something else to him. Don't do this, by the way. But they say, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. So the, the people of God are saying... If we transgress against what you say, remember, because it's what God says, let us, let us die. Let us be stoned. And by the way, that's going to happen. So stay tuned because that story's coming up. And it's a tough one. But what they are, they are drawing a hard line. Now look, that ain't our church. Um, I believe that the church exists as a safety net to call sinners back to repentance, to call people that have backslidden back to the fount of forgiveness and grace and mercy. Uh, but let me just say, it's them keeping themselves accountable. Y'all ought to do that too. We all ought to do that. In fact, the power of we. And I try to preach we a lot. Did you see the we's in here? They said, whatever, uh, all that you have commanded, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. These are the spokesmen for the people. Uh, that's a little tip for daddies being a spiritual leader. You're not being a spiritual leader if you say, you do. You do. Y'all do. It's we. It's one thing to say, y'all go. It's another one to say, let's go. Now look, I've had both of those as supervisors. I've had the you go supervisor and the let's go supervisor. You know which one I wanted to work with? Let's go. So we ought to, as Christian leaders, say, let's go. Um, just remember, and again, it's not, you shouldn't say things like, Put cursings on yourself, I don't think. Um, whoever disobeys shall be put to death. If I don't do such and such, I'm going to punish my... That's not the point. It's to keep yourself accountable. But do you see what the last thing is that they say back to Joshua? Only be strong and courageous. Pretty interesting, isn't it? That's what God said to him. Can you imagine Joseph's confidence here? I mean, he didn't have an easy job. You're going to take... This two million people, you're going to go into Canaan land. You're going to wage war against the giants, the strongest people alive, and you're going to win victory. But don't worry. Be strong and be courageous. The Lord your God is with you. And then he goes and he gives the message to the people. He's doing what God said. He's get up in three days' time. We're going to go. And they say, we're with you. Whatever you say, we're with you 100%. There's perfect unity in this congregation and they say, only be strong and courageous. Man, that's awesome. Let me just say that that's a message on unity. And as we extrapolate that as a New Testament church, we can never forget. I think every epistle in the New Testament stresses that there should be unity in the local church. And every time the church is mentioned, it's the local church. We should be with one mind, having one Savior, one salvation, we should be the same, and we should be strong and courageous. So just as a, as a recap, be spiritual leaders. Men, be the spiritual leaders in your home. Uh, women, uh, 
At work, don't underestimate your power as a Christian in your friend groups. And I said it on social media. By the way, God's Word is your standard, men, not your opinion. Nobody cares about your opinion. God's Word is your guide. It is your rule. It is your canon, your read in life. And number two, use your spiritual gift. Serve God by serving others. Uh, that starts in the home for sure, but it expands to the church and your workplace and whatever spiritual gift God has given you, use it. And then lastly, every Christian needs encouragement. Encourage somebody. You know, we have these opportunities to analyze our situation. I think many times we start looking at problems. Here, let me give you a tip just from, from, my, from my perspective. Don't come to me with a problem unless you also, in your other hand, have a solution. Anybody can point at a problem and say, something's wrong over there. Encourage. Build up. And by the way, I'm just going to... I'm not asking for any special treatment, but I want to point out it's not just Joshua encouraging, but it's the congregation, encur congregation encouraging as well. Encourage each other. Encourage your pastor. Encourage your Sunday school teachers. Encourage your supervisors at work. We need to be an encouraging people. This is what Christians, this is part of what we should be. This is who we are. Um, if we can't encourage, nobody can. Nobody can. We have the greatest message. We have the the mystery, as it's called, of salvation proclaimed to us, and we are the conduit from God to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for the deposit of your word, for this story about Joshua and the people of Israel. And uh, Lord, as we study it and we see all that they do right and all that they do wrong, we pray, God, that you would use it to make us wise. And that, Lord, we may see ourselves in our own situations and, and reflect on these Old Testament stories that we might be encouraged from them and that we use them to encourage each other. And uh, Lord, no matter what, we all deal with so many things and we get pulled in so many directions. We know that you're our great shepherd. Never leaves us, never forsakes us, just as you said to Joshua. And Lord, uh, I pray that no matter what each of us deals with this week, the things that we are going through, that we would remember that you will never leave us, that you're always with us. And uh, Lord, sometimes when it feels the bleakest is when you're the closest. And so God, we just pray that you would use our lives, that you would use our families and our church to make your name famous. And uh, Lord, that you would use us for your salvific means on this earth. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.